guess who gets the clap? Hold on. You know what? Sorry. Thank you for joining us on episode 80 of The Carmudgeon Show. My name is Derek Tam-Scott, and that is Jason Camisa. And, uh... I did it. Wow. Okay. This episode is about not bullshit. A small bit of bullshitting. We do do a bit of bullshitting in this episode, but it is I in large part about... Shat this morning. Uh, it wasn't a was bull. It a bull? <laughs> did you shit a bull? Uh, about the bull market, Haggerty's discussion of... Did you not realize I called you Jason Camisa? There are no greater insults in the world. I described oh. myself as a Derek Tam hyphen Scott. I missed that part. Paolo I was having a nap. Paolo, I was Paolo so was in shock up. about having not had to clap that I didn't oh. know which way was up. Sorry. I have to point that out because people will otherwise. So yes, we're talking about <laughs> the Haggerty oh. bull market. Right. And a sort of discussion of the cars that have been identified for next year that uh, this year that could potentially go up in market value uh we are definitely not uh, you are like one of those people who write 2022 for the next seven months because you're like i keep forgetting it's a new year you know what i don't have this problem anymore because i don't don't write write anymore you don't like use calligraphy and like dearest sir to whom it may concern instead of road raging i actually write elaborate uh, fountain pen letters and then ball them up and throw them at other motorists <laughs> telling them to politely go fuck off in very good fountain all pen. the while driving which brings us to the volkswagen commercial that you showed me earlier of oh the sign then drive right so i thought this was an iconic ad and you as a volkswagen enthusiast i thought would have seen this ad but it's a I don't know. Do we get, we might get like a takedown notice if we put this I don't know. up as an insert, but the sign then drive, where the people are trying to sign and drive at the same time and they're running over hapless cones and stuff like that. And then they're like, okay, maybe we should call it sign then drive. Just sign and drive. Introducing the sign then drive year end event. Even better. Okay, so maybe you should pull over first before you write before your calligraphy. Could, no, no, no. I can do both. It's it's in the interest of expediency of of um, road raging. Might I point out that the Haggerty Podcast Network is a service of Haggerty, which is a my insurance company. Yeah. Um, Shh, be quiet. Right. All right. So, um, I hear a dog. He's t- telling us that it's time to get this show on the road. Bye. I mean, hello. Hello and goodbye. You say goodbye and I say hello? Oh, I thought we weren't singing anymore, especially not for the first episode of the year. Okay, enjoy episode 80. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Sure. What does it say? Your place in life is the driver's seat. Buckle up. Is that implying that Panda I'm an unsafe, an unsafe driver? How do you get the only car appropriate fortune well, cookie? The excitement of new romance will lift your spirits. Panda Express. Um, does that mean I'm buying a new car? New romance? Oh, are you? Uh, I mean, does not it have 12 cylinders? Of... No, I can't afford that. It's a lot of cylinders. I know. It's a lot of gas. Also, I have too many cars, but what? what, what is your than, ideal 12-cylinder car? Probably a Ferrari 400, but I really want an E31 BMW 850 CSI, having never driven one. Mm. And now, no way, no way I can ever afford one. Uh, have you driven a CI? You have driven a CI. I've driven multiple CIs and Is, both of which are the same thing. Never an 840, always an 850. Um and all automatics except for one that smoked very badly, or I would have, I would have bought it. Mm. Um, I've never driven an eight series. No. Mm. Mm. So you've driven. I'm trying to think of what is as boring. E thirty two seven forty i. Yeah, but that's better. And E thirty eight seven forty i. They both drive better than the eight series. The E thirty eight seven forty i drives very nicely. Give me actually. a shorty sporty. Yeah, yeah that's what I had. Wonderful. Uh, uh, the seven series is uh, the eight series is unfortunately nowhere near as good. Steering's kind of dead. The V12 is both powerless and characterless. Um, and the automatic, it was the first drive-by-wire car, and the automatic was. I think they forgot to connect the wire to the transmission because you're constantly fighting with it. You're like, you have five liters and twelve cylinders, and I'm foot on the floor, and we're not accelerating enough 
to keep up with the city bus. Fourth grade because yeah, year. Fourth, fourth grade. Yes, teacher. Um, yeah, it, you're at 1100 RPM and it fucking flat out refuses to downshift. It's, I, I don't like those cars with automatics, but uh, the manual, I think, you know, you can work around it. Put cams uh. in it. Headers. Make it sound like a real V12 because they sound like nothing. But there's At that so point, crazy. you may as well just buy. I mean, Ferrari 400s aren't that expensive to buy. When you say not that expensive, well, compared like, to not that much more than an 850 CI manual. But they're like 60 grand. You want to buy one? I'll go in with you half an hour. Oh, God. Then, no, I, then, then we I'll only get six cylinders. <laughs> you want to have a six cylinder car? Yeah, two six cylinder. Four. Hey, I already have time. two I can't buy any more cars straight right six BMWs, which means I have a V12 BMW if you oh, put yeah. the two of them you next to each other. You have to drive them simultaneously, one with each foot. Well, each at 45, what's the degrees? Each at 30 degrees to you one another. You have to be cornering yeah. very aggressively. <laughs> that can be arranged. Um, well, that's but, an annoying way of... How do you get that? I'm very annoyed at your fortune cookie <laughs> and mine it. I think it means nothing. This is like astrology. What do you mean astrology means nothing? Okay, you're not one of those. I'm a Libra, which means I'll kill you for insulting. We're just, you're just justifying your murderous tendencies no. using external forces. No, 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 no. Homicidal tendencies are not a trademark of Libra. I'm fair. I'm just. I will weigh all decisions. What's your problem? Fucking this Aquarius. This is bullshit. You're an Aquarius, aren't no, you? No, I'm not. What are you? It doesn't fucking matter. It means nothing. <laughs> Let's have a You're, real episode can here. Can you look up an astrology we're book and find a hyphen? We're supposed to talk about the bullshit market. It's not uh, bullshit the bull market. market. Not the bullshit this, market. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. This is Haggerty's podcast. No, I'm saying that the bullshit market is astrology. The bull market is actual content about cars that are going up in value. What if somebody said the most amazing car for a Capricorn is a... <laughs> and I would say they should... It's a good thing they don't know very much about cars. I don't remember your birthday. Are you an Aries? <sighs> Jesus, it's the beginning of the year, isn't it? Hold, yes, I thought you were February. Aren't you? What's your, what's your birth month? Or are you afraid to say Febtober? It's February, is it not? It is. So you're not an Aquarius. It doesn't go go the whole month. The transition occurs partway through the month. At the twenty second, right? So when are you? Are you after the twenty? Anyway, why are we here? We're here to discuss Haggerty Bull Market, and I got to tell you. I was so sick during that filming. I think I've said this. You sound a little congested. Not now. No, no, in oh, the video. No, no. Holy shit. What is with everyone being sick? I just got a text that my boss is sick again. He's not even unsick from the last sick. Yes, and don't worry. There's going to be a big, or there we are currently enjoying the hangover from everybody having gotten together for the holidays. Because right? everybody gets together in the holidays and spreads germs, and then everybody gets sick a week after the holidays. I just. So that's fun. I can't. I'm not going anywhere for Christmas. Santa Claus is not coming to visit not me. Not going? I'm, you mean you didn't go anywhere? That's I didn't. January. That's January. Yeah. Well, the good thing is all the pandemics end, ended at the end of 2022 and we're done now. Okay. Welcome to the first episode of The Curmudgeon Show for 2023, where there are no more pandemics and no one's sick. And we're going to talk about both the bull market and the bull market UK. Right. Because I threw a newspaper at Henry Catchpole. Yes, and it landed on his front stoop and then he it uh, formed the backbone of his entire episode. He might catch a pole but he's not catching my newspaper well it's because you threw it from a moving rivian no the rivian was stopped when i moved that thing was so awesome i should actually play the sorry paulo i'm gonna have to play the clip of of that (laughs) because what i did was i floored it and uh, so it's it that was that Rivian was an R1S with four motors and mud tires. Not a T? No, it was an S. It was an SUV. And it lit up all four mud. Like every time you leave the line, it's four wheel burnout immediately. So it lights up all four. I ABS to a stop. I look at the camera. I throw the newspaper. And that was a request from Henry um, and Glenn, his his Anthony. Um, and, the, and then I took off. And so it just lights them all four up again. But then if you keep watching the clip... I don't know, eight seconds later, you hear me, I come to a, like a stop and then I have to make a U-turn in the track and the track isn't really all that wide. So That's I, not all in the bull market. No, videos. that got cut out. No, no. but the, it's just me coming back, like doing right. a U-turn to come back. And then you just hear the most violent, outrageous, what sounds like you're definitely hearing an accident and the clip ends. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> throw the thing, 
clicked. Yeah. It just sounded like an accident had just happened off camera. Like you're waiting for the flash and the smoke and the wheel to run through the frame, mm-hmm. like tire to bounce through. Um, so yeah, Haggerty's bull market. Mm-hmm. Interesting phenomenon, right? So the, the valuation team, I had nothing to do with any of this. Um, with the Except selection. for the whole video. Yeah. Um, no, but yeah, so the cars that were selected correct. as the bull market cars. So this is basically the uh, Haggerty valuation team who literally do nothing but crunch numbers and whatever they're looking for a bunch of markers that are present there is this mr wiley who's running this mr. process Wiley's running the process yes. i think he does the, this particular process within but it's his organization right and they're looking for apparently there are a number of chief markers mm-hmm. that you can look for that indicate a potential a looming rise in value um and so they're just they sort of go through and they you'll have to tell us about the methodology of the study because i don't know diddly I'm, about it i'm not Oh, neither do you. I, neither I, of us knows diddly about it. They told me a bunch of a, a bunch of different things. They're looking at, for example, interest among Gen X, Y, Z. For example, they're looking at sell through rates. They're looking at you know, just a ton of information gets fed into this algorithm, and it spits out a list of I don't know. I think they had initially twenty or thirty cars in the list for the year. They work with the editorial team. Um, so this isn't a ranking of like, these are the no. number one through 10 most. No, they're just vehicles yeah. that are of, of exceptional interest poised potentially for value increases. Correct. And so they'll identify, you know, more than 10. So the, the, the final list is 10 plus one. So 10 in the U S plus one motorcycle. And then the UK did 10, um, cause their market is obviously a little bit different than ours, but they, they came Lord up with knows that Austin seven values in the United States aren't, or are they? I, I don't, don't know. know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, don't contradict I just can't Mr. Imagine, Catchpole. I can't imagine, well, no, in the United yeah. States. I mean, I think that the market, there are idiosyncrasies here that just like international scouts here do things that they probably won't right. because there's one in the UK. Well, so Henry said in his video that the Lotus Elise Series 2 values have already gone up considerably in the US, but hadn't yet in England. And I'm guessing that's just a supply and demand thing. Certain things, I mean, also because the S2 here is a thing and the S1 is not, and there there's probably something where people are like, oh, I must have the S1 because it's earlier and lighter and so and more visual. I don't know. It depends. It's mixed bag about it's which hideous. one is. You think the S1 is ugly? Horrible. You think it's the S2 ca- is? Better. Better? Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know what's interesting? I just had Thomas Ingelot, who is the CEO of Polestar. He personally delivered a card to my house for not because I'm... For his special. general amusement. Well, because he was driving by my town and, you know, he, it was just easier for him to drop it off an Uber to the airport. And so they, they dropped it off. I had the Ferrari, the 308 GT4 in the, in the garage and with, together with the um, Lotus. He never looked at the Lotus and spent 40 minutes just drooling over every angle on the Ferrari. It's so interesting. The Lotus is just a non-event for design folk. Yeah, it is designed by... And for fourteen-year-olds, perhaps. I don't know if I'd be it, that it's, hard it's, on it. Well, it's it's very um, exaggerated and sort of alien and s- in high impact and very sort of space aged looking. It's really designed for impact, and it doesn't have thought of it a lot way. of. Yeah, it's like a budget Lamborghini in terms of it's like a lot of. You want it to look really like outrageous, right? It's designed really? for yeah, I think so. It's got all these vents and the bug bug shaped eyes and stuff like that. And huh, I never thought about it that way. I always thought of it the other way, which is it's just sort of standard issue, nondescript, doesn't move the needle or raise the bar. Sports car design, like supercar y kind of design. Yeah, but it's like sort of g- generic supercar. Yeah. yeah, I guess. It's, yeah, we're both saying the same thing actually. Okay. Here. Yeah, I just never thought of it as like anything sort of like purposely. But that's the purpose outrageous. of a supercar. Is to be like covered in vents and no spoilers on this and no real. I mean, the vents it's are very all obviously mid engined and it's got like scoops and all these shapes that are like unnecessarily crescent shaped and stuff like that. <laughs> but not octagonally shaped. And then it, because then it would no, be, that'd a, be a Lamborghini. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway. Um, uh, so, yeah, they come up with a list and then what it gets whittled down to the, the choices that they feel strongly about, the valuation team feels strongly about, but that editorial can find. Because if we're going to mm. feature the cars for a photo shoot, we have to be able to get them. Interesting. Um, and you can have That's a like mix. like a little bit artificial, that part. Well, hold on. But there's, a, there's also the, the, that's not the primary. So primary consideration is, are these cars part of the, bull, the initial bull market list that's been identified? Yes, all of them are. Um, then it becomes, 
is this the proper mix editorially? You can't do a bull market of all $30 million cars. Yeah, or they're all mid-engined, exotic, manual, transmission, naturally aspirated cars from 1993 to 1997. Exactly. So you're choosing one that's representative then that you can also get. Sure. Right, we got some cars that were pretty tough to get. I mean, we got a we got a Mercedes-Benz LP640 manual. Yeah, like I didn't even know that existed. Yes, they 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 made stick shift SVs. I think they made like six of those or something. That was of all the cars, that, and we should probably just go over the list at some point, or maybe people should just watch the friggin' episode. Um, that is the point, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Um, of all the cars that I drove, that was the biggest surprise mm. because I've spent some time in Mercedes-Benz. Um, hated the paddle shift. The rest of the car was okay um it you know it's a lamborghini it's outrageous and it sort of defies criticism because it's so outrageous did you spend much time on the street or track only? street street only with the previous uh mercies yes. this was track only and it was just just for filming mother of god that fucking shifter is perfect the shifter is perfect the clutch is perfect the gas calibration is perfect mm. the thing handles like a million bucks i'm really? just very slight understeer but loves to rotate under power it was just magic and I, it was everything uh, I thought as it was. They weren't going up in value enough already, as identified by Haggerty before this. Well, but they knew I was going to get in and just <laughs> about this car. It's unbelievable. Light mm. shift. The, here's the. This is the, the part where I'm going to get myself in trouble. The difference between that thing and the Audi R8 V10 was quite stark because mm-hmm. I my expectations for Mercedes-Benz were tepid, and it was spectacular it sounded amazing especially outside it was fast as fuck i mean it just did everything well a little bit of understeer you can get around it versus the audi which was um an audi that's a great way of putting it next next okay (laughs) um but that was the biggest surprise of them i would pay a million dollars for that car if i had had a million dollars that's that's a car that i can really see it it looks promise a 10 and it gives you a 10 yeah, and it checks all of the boxes of things that people are sort of anxiously wringing their hands about, about causing appreciation right now. Natural aspiration, manual transmission, cylinder count that leads to noises that sound like sex. Like Yeah, but so does the R8. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I just the R8 think. has always left me a little bit lukewarm. They On the street, they leave me a little bit lukewarm. I guess it makes me want to just drive it daily and grocery shop in it and just use the hell out of it as a sort of disposable device it doesn't make me want to collect it it's well, not that's a thing you know my theory about this like collect cars that are wonderful to collect are terrible to live with yes yes of course it violates that so of mm. course i'm not gonna like it it's a good car too nsxy yeah way but too, uh, the most worst understeer i think i've ever felt in any car ever and really? that, that could have been an alignment issue on that particular car i don't remember them understeering actually that's not i remember them snap oversteering the v10s the v10s i always thought were uncontrollable this one would not turn um look it's an alignment did it I, have a roof it did hmm. it was not on fire <laughs> we did not let the motherfucker burn you know that song yes okay, yes good. that's the Lamborghini party trick anyway oh um yeah. Huh. So Interesting. you've driven Mercedes. Never. Really? And you've not driven a Diablo either, we discussed. No. I have driven a shitload of Countaches, quite a lot of Miras. I've driven several Aventadors. Huh. But this is very interesting. Yeah, the middle ones I haven't driven. You need to go do that, and then we can compare notes, because I do have notes from where I drove every one of them back to back, back in the day when the Aventador first came out. Um, and um, we're going to have to do an episode on that. Well, I've got to drive some automobiles. Oh, first. how hard could it possibly be to find a Murcielago and a, you know... How indeed. Diablo. We um, can ask the general public about Murcielago driving experiences since they seem to grow on trees and are easy to find. You work at ECME. Yeah, I Can't know. you just snap your fingers and have one appear? We've uh, never sold one. Okay, so get in your Mura and drive to the address given in some ad somewhere and be like, I would like to test drive your car because I want to buy it. And you show up in a mirror. What are they going to say? No. Hey, a shitty old car. <laughs> you must not have any money. Too yeah, bad he can't that. afford a newer one. Yeah. No, I like this car, but too much insurance is worth it too much. Um, yeah. So you've not driven this. We can't talk about that. But you have pr- presumably driven a Mercedes McLaren SLR. I have, yeah. Tell me about this because I have things to say. Uh, it was, uh, I didn't really care for it. It didn't, I didn't particularly enjoy it. It's a slush box, automatic. It's an engine that feels too similar to too many other engines that Mercedes sold at the same time. Because it was exactly the same engine? Yes, that's probably why. 
I disagree with that though. That the engine doesn't feel. First of all, I have a strange admission. Mm. This is the only 55 motored car I've ever driven. You never drove an SL55? No. Well, yes. R230? I've only driven the naturally aspirated 55 E55 car. I've never driven you never a drove an R230 SL55? Somehow, no. Or an E55? Nope. An o, a, a, yep. a 211 E55? Nope. I started right... I did 43. Have I ever done a 36 or a 32? No. 55 naturally aspirated, 63 NA, and every, everything since. 40, 35, 45, 63, 65. 4 turbocharged. Right. But 63. no, no, I've never. So this is my first experience with a with a oh. fifty five car. But I know I know that engine in naturally aspirated form because a friend of mine had an E fifty five, and of course I had a C forty three AMG, which is the same engine, smaller displacement. I have never felt a Mercedes V eight before. I've heard them and I've felt their you power mean as one thirteen K. Oh, oh, vibration. vibration. Oh. That's the coolest thing about the SLR. You get in because it, it's a uh, carbon. Well, you get tub. a carbon tub, so you get in, and it's got the big sides and the fucking do- doors and whatever, and it's kind of, you know, ooh, it's a cool experience, and then you look down, and it's got the world's most ghetto, is it a radio cover, I think? Yeah. It just says, like, McLaren SLR. It is, it literally looks like something out of, I wouldn't insult J.C. Whitney <laughs> this badly, it looks like something out of a Dodge Neon, like, th- from J.C. Whitney, and and then you hit the little button, which is the coolest thing on the top well, of the shifter. you have to flip the cap up. Boink. It's like flipping a bick, and then the fucking motor vibrates the whole car mm. in all of the right ways. I, why did no one tell me that's a thing? That thing's alive. Uh-uh. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's all you. That's all you have to say for yourself is. Uh? I, I didn't find it. I mean, this is this is again the issue of how are you calibrated? If you're calibrated to a Countach, then it's not that vibrationy. I disagree. I was there with a Murcielago, which is basically a, you know, Countach. And uh, V12s are smooth. V8s are not. This thing buzzed and fizzed. and mm. I didn't uh, find mm. it that interesting. The I, car feels very big and unwieldy also. And the transmission is dim-witted. Okay. So what you're not seeing here and what you're not comprehending is that I'm trying to be nice. And I'm looking at the one positive about that car. Oh. Because... It looks like an Acura 2.2 CL from the back, and it looks like an SL from the front, and it's got that crap interior. And It's got and, a very long hood. Ugh, I hate cars where you sit on the back axle. Here's the thing. This bull market, I feel bad about. We're I like the this. seats a lot, too. I think the seats are nice. Paolo with the friggin' Rona over there sneezing again. Um, I didn't like the car. Yeah, I, thought, I don't like the I car. I have either. never felt a car that had steering this heavy when, like, you cannot turn the steering wheel when you're at idle when you're not moving. Uh, it feels unassisted. Um, and to me, the whole car struck me as the worst of McLaren meets the worst of Mercedes, not the best. Yeah, of the it is a car that feels like an assemblage of parts rather than a coherent whole. It just, there's something discordant about the way the car operates because it's kind of exotic y in some ways and very not in other ways. It's very like. Like the radio cover flap thing. Yeah, and the transmission's responsiveness is. I'll give. Back in the day, that had to be pretty good, right? So it's a five-speed automatic. It's not a seven. The ratio spread is huge. Um, so you get like a 6,000 RPM shift to, to drops to like 2,000 in the next gear. Um, it's supercharged. It you can get away with that. Yeah. Well, it's fast. It's, it's just, it's so quintessentially automatic. In a car that where you have this expectation with a carbon chassis and it's very exotic and the way the doors open, you have this exotic experience. Mm-hmm. And then it's so obviously a slush box. To mm-hmm. me, I found that characteristic to be discontinuous okay i can see that in any case i remember the first time i drove one of those i was a little bit disappointed mm-hmm. and then like the first time i drove a carrera gt i w- the, was the opposite i liked it mm-hmm. better after i drove it carrera gt is a driver's car in a way that that slr just isn't yeah i mean you can really i was when i was doing some research on that um i was going to do a revelations episode about the car but i kind of didn't about the slr about slr there i didn't because there wasn't a lot really nice to say mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the players will never speak on record to tell me what really happens but it was very clear that mercedes wanted to do a front engine car gordon murray at mclaren wanted to do a mid-engine car um and the way that went down was that mercedes very passive aggressively showed a show car called the SLR vision and it was a front engine car. And that was it. Once that was done, there was no more discussion. It had to be a front engine car. And he moved the engine back by three feet 
three feet to get that thing to turn. Um, but it wound up being a 3,800 pound carbon tubbed car. I mean, it just kind of not a real anti-McLaren F1. Right. I mean, they, you know, this was, he got that Gordon Murray and McLaren got that job because of what they do with the McLaren F1 and the Mercedes sort of beat them down into doing things the Mercedes way, which didn't. Well, that is exactly the brilliance of the McLaren F1 is that it's so single-minded and so focused and so much the expression of a single unified vision. And the SLR is kind of the opposite. Yeah. But yeah. um, cool. I mean, look, cool car. It is not cool. for a driver. It's not. Yeah, it's not a. You, you, the McLaren F1 puts at its central purpose the driving, mm -hmm. and the SLR does not do that. It excels in other respects. Right. And if you are someone who values those things, then it is a, a good choice for Brutally you. Brutally fast. I mean, it, it left the Lambo fairly well for dead. Uh, yeah, it's and, on a and yeah. Um, and um, nice, really high speed cruiser, too. I'm sure it's wonderful yes. there. Um, and. 25-year warranty on the brakes. Yeah, that SBC thing. Yeah, um, uh, yeah no, Just I'm, like your E500 or any other Mercedes yeah, from that era. From that era. I, you know, look, writing, writing the script for bull market, that was a little bit of a tough one because that's just not, you know, the car had a, a, a tumultuous gestation period. It is very internally combustioned. That is one thing you could say about that car. Yeah. It It is an interesting thing as it ages because it is... Uh, something you would never see today. Is that? I mean, I kind of feel like it's just very modern car in the way that, like, it's supposed to be light, but it's actually very heavy, and it's. Oh, know. I just mean that now with where hybridization and mm. electrification, it's just like a sort of big honking torquey yeah. V eight thing with a slush box automatic. There's right. not going to be stuff like that made anymore. I mean, I just had a Cadillac Escalade V. <laughs> That describes slightly that. No. different yeah, slightly different no no i look if you're not the type of you know a limit sports car driver i think that's a really cool statement um, yeah i mean and, and it is certainly rare but not for me it's not, not my jam um next up that we covered have you ever driven a hummer h1 no that was horrifying very uh, alarming well because didn't randy, you, drove randy like, almost capsized you in it or something like I, that <laughs> There's a lot of editing going in there to stop because I was screaming. I, I did not do well in that segment. Um, in fact, the B-roll uh, segment, I did not get in the car. I wouldn't do it. Um, I was, first of all, I was sick as shit, that whole production. Um, but he was fucking, Randy saw red and was- And was just sending it in an H1. Holy shit. I mean, you know, there's a 300 foot drop on one side of the road and he, we were literally opposite lock on into the dirt right to the, I mean, he was just- I've never seen Was Randy. he amused? Could not stop screaming laughing. And I'm screaming like, stop it. Slow down. <laughs> We're going to die. And that line about like, Randy, there's no, this thing didn't even have to pass rollover standards. There was no airbags in it. There was no safety requirements. He's like, really? And I'm like, slow the fuck down. And he was, <laughs> I mean, so Randy liked the H1. Randy had a didn't. riot in it. Yeah, no, it was fun. I mean, I actually loved it. As soon as I got in it, I'm like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever been in. Like you yes. literally can't reach the passenger. Yes. Not even close. Well, and there's something immensely charming about that. We talk about this at length, about how bad things are good or interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's what gives things character, and certainly it excels at that. And it's just a particular moment in time where you're like, yeah, here's this thing. We made it to, like, run over camels in the desert or whatever it is <laughs> that we designed it for. And, like, I guess we could sell it to the public. Yeah. It's, like, a bit coarse, but I'm sure people will pay money for it. And then the governator made it happen. Yeah. Uh, and it became a status symbol. So, uh, I mean, it is such an extraordinary story and it's such a singular, unrepeatable, nothing else like it kind of experience that it makes sense. I want to drive that LMO too. L I was going to say, give me a Lemu 2 uh, together with that Hummer H1. That would be like the perfect two car solution if you're like... An, own an oil well. Yeah. <laughs> like an and oil have car, a lot of like say. lower income people to i mean have you seen the videos of them driving around in those things in baghdad no they just if I've there's got, a car like trying to drive around the city streets they just drive into the back of whatever car is in front of them and then they're <laughs> like oh let me get out of your way because i've driven into the back of you and it's no wonder americans are widely hated around the world they literally would drive into the locals and this is hummers or hummers, humvees, okay. humvees, humvees. Humvees. Right. yes um, but I guess that's the way you'd go and not get stuck and get you know un yeah. roadside okay. bombed I mean, Better, that's apparently. exactly why I want a Lemu too. So you can run, so I can over run into the Priuses on the who road. Are, who are uh, occupying the left I lane. I mean, if I remember correctly, 7,716 pounds with a full tank of gas. Sign me the fuck up. 
Well, uh, the full tank of gas is 7,000 of those pounds. I mean, well, it only doesn't lasts have 10 like miles. a 65-gallon <laughs> fuel tank or something, something absurd like that. Like that. Yeah. I mean, easy. Um, yes. Uh, so, no, I've never driven one, but I can see the appeal. Yeah. Uh, it's, an, it's an American LMO2. Yeah. In all the right ways. This one was a diesel. Um, you was know, it a, an Alpha? Was it a 195-horsepower diesel or a 300-horsepower diesel? I think diesel? it was 195. Just it was not that slow. Then I it might have been a 300 horsepower one. Um, it did not, it wasn't painfully slow. It moved. Yeah, then it must um, be the, th- the 300. You'd think I'd know this, but I was in and out of so many cars. Well, yeah, I mean, I have to do video. You normally I was do a video about like... A car. A car, yeah, right. This was and this is like, let me tell the story of 11 cars at once. Well, Sorry, 10, 10 cars motorcycle. and a motorcycle. Plus, sleeping in between takes. I mean, like, right. I was that one of those. Like, all right, I'm going to go out, uh, sleep. Okay, um, let's talk about Saab 900 Turbo. This is an interesting one. Oh, yesterday I drove a Saab 900 SPG, the first Saab 900 I've ever driven. Okay, well, tell us all about the hurdy gurdy. Um, it's just, it's really charming, actually. I quite liked it. It was it, this one had two hundred and fifty six thousand miles on it, um, and on the original turbo, of course. Uh, <laughs> yes, they're always on fire, aren't they? Oh, my mom's. 81 900 turbo i think it was about every 18 months on average blue turbo but anyway that uh, was early i quite liked it i found it charming it was interesting it's it has this this noise that's very distinctive and i hadn't heard the noise it's like a very throaty mm-hmm. uh inline four noise which is not something you usually hear with this side of a alpha 4c or an abarth but usually you know almost like darth vader yeah. meets like burping through a toilet paper roll sort of yeah roll. it's this uh yeah. very unique noise the whole car is really charming it's i mean it's if you are buying and, and so this is something that i talk about when you buy an old car and you're like oh, i bought an old i don't know bmw 7 series or mercedes s class or whatever and you're just like oh, it's like a regular car that functions well and it's like a decent car and you're like if you're buying a classic car you kind of want kind of an element of weirdness mm-hmm. and character and just strange experiences and that as much as i've like those cars as you know an old s-class but it's for me it's like a it's not the first vintage car i would buy because it's too car-y car normal right yeah and so the Saab is great because it's not that well one did sell for fifty five thousand dollars on bring a trailer an spg um and you know so everything is wrong on those everything is weird everything is unique the more you look at it just like this is so weird this is the reason why i for example bought a citroen you know you just for dollar per weirdness or dollar per like just the the density of like what the fuck <laughs> like the number of times you say what the fuck when you interact with the car for the first time i want that to be a large number because yeah. it's an interesting experience that's the purpose of buying something that's not a modern appliance uh and the 900 is really good at delivers that. you delivers know like by the boatload well, the position of the ignition key of course between the seats people always talk about that the fact that you can't get the key out unless it's in reverse, reverse. Uh, which nobody knows who's never been in one or had a deeply traumatic experience. <laughs> um, you know, the wraparound windshield. The, the wraparound windshield and the the way the wipers function, the cutaway of the doors, the lower part of the doors. So you don't get the, snow on your on the on your pants. That's why. Uh, so that's the sill moves away with the door. Yeah, the sill so. is part of the door, and so you're just like, wow, like a lot of the car's missing when the doors open. Yeah, which but but what was also missing would be the snow that would be stuck there that would right. get on your pants. Right. The driver only uh, seated heat, yes, seated which heat. was was weird. And then then you open the hood and you're like, it's backwards and, and it's upside, upside down. down and, and why <laughs> is the air conditioning compressor on the firewall? Yeah. And, like it's just a really extraordinary experience. And then like the driving experience is relatively normal, but it's still like interesting and charming. I mean, it's just it's so did you really pretty out there on the sort of sport versus luxury spectrum? Where did you put that? Uh, it was pouring. Uh, and I just, I oil at the bottom (laughs) raining and I I spent five minutes in it. So I Mm. wouldn't, I didn't really have a good, uh, mostly I was deafened by the noise of the hatch and (laughs) miscellaneous climbing 256. The car looks quite nice, but 256,000 miles, you know, they were not, not clattery when they were new. Yeah. And, And so I think I was sort of distracted by that. It's, it's not a super sporty car. It was, oh. I, the reason I ask is it's because... It's not a GTI. 
No. It's very much not a GTI. Randy and I were debating in the car. So he didn't drive that Saab. This is Randy Pope's in the video. He's never driven a 900 Turbo. Mm -hmm. And so that segment I had written, I drive, and we just didn't get a chance to get him into the car to drive it. But I said, like, this is not a sport sporty car at all. And he was like, wait a second, Jason, what are you talking about? These were very sporty. And I'm like, there's nothing sporty about them. They're much closer to Mercedes than they are uh, BMW in terms of driving experience. There's a lot of body roll. They're very soft. They're fast as fuck in a straight line, especially the later cars. Um, but they're wonderful, quiet, refined cruisers. And he was like, that's not what I heard in the day. And that's what, there's one scene in the thing where you, where you see, I, I flick the car into a corner and we sort of get rotating. He's like, wow, that's a lot of body roll. That wasn't a script. <laughs> and I hustled it around. There's, you, there's one Was that up. him saying, I think you're going to capsize this? Yeah. Well, we came, we came around one of the corners. It was a right-hand bend onto the, onto the front straight on three wheels. And he was like, I think we're on three wheels. That's all cut out. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm like, there's nothing sporty about this car, but they're, that's not what they did. The, the whole idea, the, the thing that I find most interesting about the 99 Turbo and the 900 Turbo, and 99 Turbo wound, on, on, wound up on UK um, full market list this year, the same effective car. The 900 Turbo is a wheelbase stretch. The wheels went further forward to make more crash space. Um, but what I found interesting about them is they were the first regular production turbo car, other than like 2002 Turbo and 930 Turbos. Um, but it was the first turbo that was not... And don't forget the Oldsmobile, Oldsmobile Jetfire. Yes. Uh, and the Corvair Turbo, which beat yes. it by three weeks or some crazy shit. Yeah, um, the Monza. But those were, this was the first turbo that was not done for performance. This was done for economy. And so Saab's deal was a sm relatively small turbo for quick response, but not a lot of high RPM power. So they, if you look in terms of top speed, the 900 turbos were not really any quicker than the 916 valves, um, you know, especially later on. It was the difference in acceleration and torque that was huge. And they, the idea was quiet, smooth torque, which is what we all love today in cars. You know, this is yes, what, what customers love. very prescient. Love. Yeah. So um, really cool car. Yes. Immensely charming. A lot of character, especially per dollar. Mm -hmm. Have you driven a cappuccino? Nope. So this was interesting because this was this was the day that I was really sick. So I, I was not enjoying life. But the only other cappuccino that I had driven was quite uh, quite track prepped. Mm. Uh, this one was much more stock and I didn't enjoy it at all. I, you didn't enjoy either of them, right? Correct. I, the, the one here, the, 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 the one that I drove here in the Revelations episode um, was just too harsh, I thought, for me. It was unbelievably grippy and um, and composed, but just not... I thought I'd rather be in a Miata. This other one I got in and it's an acoustic non-event. I mean, you literally can't even hear the engine. 9,000 RPM turbo. Come on. Like I want to hear your turbo noises, turbo noises and everything noises. None of it. But um, this one, I really realized what, why it's a journalist special because at the limit, it's perfect. I mean, it was just neutral and just did a, it was a, it just became a wonderful driver's car. Um, but it's not a light your hair on the fire uh, event the way I sort of expected it to be. Um, so well, I learned, especially I'm, compared to other K cars. Well, the beat, I mean, the beat is the, I'm glad it's the one that I bought. It's I, I made the right choice for me. Right. I'm uh, not, I'm a limit guy and uh, that I don't, all of my mid engine cars never get driven to the limit. Mm. Mid engine cars are not around limit, but that's just a light your hair on fire in normal traffic, just doing right. Normal stuff. Um, and then there was the 350Z and Corvette Z06, which was pretty, f and the AMC AMX. I never even sat in the AMX. Too sick. Randy had to do that. Um, I've have you driven one? Never driven one. Apparently quick. Seven seconds to 60 back in the day. Um, but the 350Z and Z06. How does that relate fun. to the Javelin? It is a coupe version of the Javelin. So basic, same basic architecture, but it's a two-door shortened version of the Javelin. So the same like what's 396 is the big motor. There's some enormous... We are thoroughly outside of my area of expertise. Uh, I do know the Javelin was run in Trans Am. Okay. So that's this, the extent of my knowledge. Okay, that's more than I knew. Anyway, Javelin has an AMC badge on. There's, there's my knowledge. <laughs> um, 350Z was cool because we got a Nismo. Um, mm. That's a rare car. Mm -hmm. um, and that was pretty pretty damn good. I mean, that was really? a 200,000 mile car um, and looked quite good. I mean, you know, some tears in the seat, if I remember correctly. But, um, you know, we were not really supposed to drive these cars in anger. You know, I think that what was sold to the 
um, owners of the car was a little bit different than what we needed to do for filming. And that was a miscommunication. This is the first year that we've done it. Um, but you can't do all these sports cars without really showing uh, what they did. Some so I sporting yeah. intent. First thing I did was slide that thing ass first around a couple corners with Randy behind me, like pacing me in the, in the Z06, which was on like ancient tires. And the, there's one line in the video that makes me laugh because I wrote the script and he, he's delivering. He goes, this thing really grips because it was like a skid pad. Like it was like a G, yeah, a 1.03 or something. When, when nothing else. <laughs> he says that in fucking, when he was in car filming, he's in like fourth gear at like 2000 RPM and almost loops the fucking thing because he goes to the gas and says, whoa, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, that, the uh, owner. it has an ancient tires. Ancient, I mean, 20 something year. Like I think they were the original tires in the car. But what a, I mean, what a wonderful thing to watch ballet itself are on track i know mm -hmm. what they were like in the day they were spectacular and so we can all look past a set of tires right um but it was real fun to drift the z around and have randy come and say i can't keep up with you camisa you need to slow down love that words that resonate <laughs> if you handicap him enough yeah but uh yeah no that z was pretty damn good um interesting everyone always derides those cars for having been heavy and sort of like uh, a bit of a special for boy racers but not actually a car that delivers in a sports car sense it's, I would have been part of that crew to riding it. I mean, I don't like V6s, first of all. And I thought it was always a little bit too heavy for its size. Um, but, you know. How heavy is too heavy? Does it, it weighs the same as a V8 Vantage? 33, yeah. But they're tiny. It's tiny. 33. 33, they that light? So it's like quite I, a bit less than a got V8 bit, Vantage. I got bitch slapped on Instagram. I called it a fat pig, like. 3,700 pound fat pig or something. And somebody screamed at me in the comments, like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And that was in fact, the weight for the Cabrio that I had put committed to memory 15 years ago. Uh, they're not as heavy as I remember huh. them being, um, still a little bit too heavy, I think for what they were, but this was Nismo, right? So this one had oh, this, also the compared to slip. the 300 ZX turbo before it, which was also kind of a porker, right? An actual porker. I An think. actual porker. They were, they were. <clears throat> oh, now somebody's going to say, oh, they're only 2,900 pounds. Here's the joke. No. The Scirocco 16 valve, of course, I have to put it in Scirocco terms, was blasted for being ridiculously heavy. The US spec car with air conditioning and power windows was 2,380. Mm. So it's all perspective, right? I mean, mm -hmm. not, you know, anything 2,380 today, that's Miata, maybe. 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 Yeah. I mean, GT3 is probably 31. Right. I mean, there are very few cars you can get under 3,000 pounds at this point. It's always amazing also when you look at old, like, economy cars. And are like, this Corolla is kind of heavy. It's 2,700 pounds or something like that. 27, 23. Camry. Sorry. Camry. Camry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, weights have gone crazy. Um, it was neat. It was really neat watching Randy Popes drive that Harley. Mm. Uh, so that thing was, like, fresh out of restoration. Two years ago, I think a year or two ago, completed restoration. And it had gone six miles. And man, did that thing need a shakedown. Yes. And we gave it to it. I mean, it broke constantly, but we fixed it all. It was all so simple that we would just be able to pull over and fix whatever broke. Um, and by the end, it was perfect. And to think that was a 1937 motorcycle. Really? 37. That's Holy an hell. old friggin' thing. And it, once we got, there was a charging system issue. There were a couple little issues that we sorted out. It worked. It kept, it kept up with the camera car. I mean, it just kind of did what it was that was so cool really yeah. interesting never would have i would have looked at that bike and thought 70s not 30s i have what is i don't think i've ever ridden a motorcycle i've never ridden a carbureted motorcycle i don't have a lot of motorcycle experience wow hold on says the man who dailies a motorcycle yeah mm, yeah i don't have a lot of motorcycles you mean well like, like my yeah i don't have selection. a lot of breadth like almost all of my motorcycle experience is italian hmm interesting um, yeah, that was kind of cool. Sounds just like today's Harleys. Like it was just wild no, to see. Today's Harleys sound just like it. Yeah, fair point. Um, did you watch the uh, bull market UK thing? I did. It was interesting to see a different perspective on how, I mean, the market is obviously quite different in the United Kingdom. And so it's interesting to see that parsed and, and put in such stark terms because we're looking at exact same mission at exactly the same moment, but in two different places. I mean, so, to me, the funniest thing was the, the intro in mine was like all just bang, carve, sideways, cinematic. sideways, 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 sideways. And then Henry it's comes like in. like Michael Bay. Yeah. And then he comes in and he's just reading a newspaper he's and having a lovely tea. tea and he's he's spreading his trying to play up Britishness. I don't know. Was that intentional? I would assume Does he so. know? Here's the thing is I've never met. I don't think I've ever met Mr. Catchpole in person, which, which we got to fix this year. Um, but he's 
so my opposite. Like, I love that he's on the, the Haggerty channel because we see the world. We're just so, he's so Do you see the world very differently, though? I don't think we do. Or do you execute differently? No, because, I mean, his, my favorite video that he ever did was this, it was an ode to the love of manual transmissions. We see the world the same way. Yes, you just deliver your perspective His, his style is so relaxing mm-hmm. and so slow and well thought out. And mm-hmm. mine is like, flash, bam, in your face, high energy. Um, I love that he did that intro because it's, you know, I literally come to a screeching halt in an R1S, throw a newspaper, a camera, and take off. And right. he's like, I'm just going to get up. And so he re- specifically requested that to draw the contrast. No, he did. He, the, the, uh, the theme of the episode was supposed to be, it was supposed to be, I don't know what happened. I probably shouldn't even say this, but they, the original plan was that there were the, the intros between from one car to the next was always a newspaper landing somewhere. And I, they, they must've just had that plan and it didn't work. So they asked me for a scene where I just threw a newspaper and I thought, well, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to screech to a halt, throw a newspaper like I'm angry, and then haul ass out of there. Um, and then we did another one where, you know, I was in the car and I pulled the sun visor open and it fell in my lap. And I'm like, fuck this, threw it out of the way. But they only obviously needed the one. But it works perfectly to, you know, here's, here's a car making a lot of noise. Oh, and here's classical music in a moldy brick house with, you know, <laughs> with a moldy British man reading a newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's just um, reinforcing uh, stereotypes. Well, but they're true. Uh, so I was looking at the list of cars in there and realizing I've only driven one, two, three, four of them. Not all that many of them, but we each own one of the cars on the list. Uh, do we? Yeah. Oh, yes. Mercedes R129 500SL. I do yeah, own that. You do. And, and then I have the Elise. The Elise. You um, have the Elise. But that is a quite interesting, funny enough, the day that the US bull market came out, a friend of ours who has a Ferrari 400 and just a really great bunch of cars and a Bentley Turbo R said- Which is on the list in the UK. Well, and I didn't know this. Mm-hmm. I didn't see the list until the video came out because I just haven't, didn't have a chance to look. And so, but his comment was, great video, you're missing a Bentley Turbo R. And now I'm going to have to text him and before he listens to this episode and be like, I knew that was in there and that's why I purposefully left it out. Uh, yes. Uh, but it's not the case. I mean, so I adore the Bentley Turbo R. It's one of my favorite cars. I really would like to own one someday. Ever work on one? Nope. Don't. I know. Tears. I know they're bad. I know they're really, really bad. Tears. I mean, I had a friend of mine who was a BMW tech. who was the foreman at the local dealership, and he bought one. Um, and uh, he once pulled an all-nighter and called me in almost tears the next morning and was like, I need your help now. Can you can you please come here? I got to get this car back together. And it was just a suspension bushing. <laughs> he had done he done on, like a, he, on his own car on his own car. Yeah, and he was just trapped. Couldn't leave. Car couldn't get the car back together. It was he was bleeding. He was cut up. He was like, I've never. I can't get to any of these fucking nuts. It was just they're nightmares to work on. But so <sighs> wonderful, I mean, fast as fuck. Yeah, just, huge torque. Yeah, they're really a pleasure to drive. Yeah, they're great. And this friend of ours took one on a rally. Yeah, I love that. And it survived. It didn't get hot. It didn't do it. It didn't break. He just had a wonderful time. I think they'd suffer from siditis. Yeah. A no, lot of them are I think everyone's much. afraid to drive them. I mean, who bought, who bought that car to you know, daily sit in traffic? A superior sort of human. Somebody with a lot more a lot money. A lot of yeah. money. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I was happy to see the 99 Turbo on that list because that's, that's a car I've never driven and I've wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was Fiesta Mark 1 I've never driven. No, it's never something that figured... Did they, we even get those here? We might have. They might have brought them over to the US, actually. I think they did. Of course they did not. Paolo can cut out the not if they did. <laughs> <laughs> Editing, fix it in post. Just um, kidding. They can know I'm an idiot. Um, I think that car was iconic in a way that it just wasn't here. Right? Mm. There, there is a fondness for small cars with character in, in the UK and Europe generally that we just do not share. It was, as you describe, a penalty box here. It was this, the, mm. the start of the, the oil crisis here, and it was counter to everything that Americans truly wanted, but we tolerated them for circumstantial reasons that were really culturally divergent, and those things had become sort of accepted in the United Kingdom for much longer. I mean, the, also on the list is the Austin 7. Again, mm. a small car that mobilized people in a way that who would have not otherwise had personal mobility, and so it isn't a cultural icon. And we've I've talked at length before about... How the Austin 7 is a car that mobilized an entire generation or nation and how every country needs at least one of those types of cars. Uh, and so 
the Austin 7 makes sense in that way. It's funny, you can watch him struggling with characteristics of the car, which are foreign to today's <laughs> operators, <laughs> like, shall we say. Yeah, like brakes that only actuate on the rear unless you pull a lever up front. Yes. That's so crazy. It's like a bicycle independent. Is that right yeah. on a bicycle? Yes. Yeah. Motorcycles, motorcycles are like that. I can't yeah. remember whether the front and rear brakes are controlled. You do ride a bicycle thing. also. I right? do, yes. I just can't remember how what all the levers do. And left the, hand the one is, is that's front. The <laughs> no, the left hand is front, right hand is rear on a bicycle. Oh, on a motorcycle, the right hand's the front, the front and the left hand's the clutch. And your right foot is the brake. Yes. Rear brake. The rear brake, yeah. unless it's a old Italian bike, in which case the shifter's on the, the right and the brake's on the left, and you push down instead of up to shift. Holy shit, I would lock up the rear wheels every time I tried to shift. Yes. Yeah, no thanks. And you'd also shift up when you meant to shift down. Um, oh, God. Yeah, no thanks. Um, That's blowing the motor. Um, I really appreciated the presence of the Citroën BX. I saw your excitement at the when you just looked down at the page. And we're like, yeah, I get to talk about it. <laughs> Here's the thing. I love that you're a Citroën owner, but I've not seen the car. I know. We'll have to get you a seat time in the in the Citroën. But yeah. the BX is a pretty cool car. I mean, it's a pa folded paper Gandini design. And the thing that I really like that Citroën did, and then, so they, let's see, we'll go to like the 1970s. They had two cars. They had the big car and the small car. The big car was the DS. And the small car was the Ducheval. So it's like there seems to be a gap in our product offering. So we'll oh, offer wow. another car, which is the, the GS. And the GS was meant to... Uh, it was kind of efficiency. It's like 1,100 cc's, but like delivers medium-sized car performance through clever design. And so it, uh, but it still has the the suspension, the same suspension as the DS. Uh, and so you get like this weird mixture of like expensive engineering and like economy car characteristics. Hmm. And the BX replaced the GS, doing effectively the same thing. And it's got lots of weird Citroen character and the folded paper design done by Gandini and. They made a Group B rally car version of it, and it has the same suspension. And you're just like, this thing is cheap as shit now as a collector car and wildly interesting. I think mm -hmm. the same value proposition is similar to the Saab 900, which is if you're going to spend money for a, a, your second car, it's your first non-functional get-me-to-places-forward-focus type of car, and you could either buy like a BMW 3 Series, which is like fun to drive at the limit but f very familiar as a car, or you could get this weird experience you get in a... Saab 900 or a mm -hmm. Citroën, you know, for $5,000, you know, yeah, you're like, oh, it's a pretty interesting way to spend $5,000 on a car. So I'm a fan of that. Obviously. I've never driven one, but I mean, I know what that suspension's like. It's unbelievable. It's just weird. You just, yeah. if you want like a different experience for not much money, then it's hard to argue with that. Of course, it's not going to function probably sometime. Although yeah, they're does? kicking around with 200,000 miles on them. So mm, that's cool. So that's yeah, that's coolest. the BX. But that, that would never in the United States. I mean, they're never. I don't know if there's any. Is there a BX in the United States? You should buy one and bring one over. Yeah, I know. I, I actually have seen a BX. I've seen at least two BXs in the United States, mm. but they were both the Group B cars where they're like $100,000 because it's a Group B homologated rally car. Given that that car is now in the Haggerty Bull market, before the you know market finds out about this, you could go and get one and ship it here. And yeah, they're like free in the UK. They're like f literally five. Th I think they're five thousand pounds. Oh my god! Yeah, that's a hell of a visual statement to make for five thousand pounds. Yeah, and I mean, experience too. You get in it, and everyone's like, "What is this weird car? Everything's weird. Mm -hmm. The steering wheel is weird. This is weird. Everything's there's nothing that's not weird about it." Yeah, you know? that's cool. I like that. Uh, TT. Uh, I have never interacted. I mean, I thought the funniest the part of that video was that Henry's like, you know, there's absolutely no reason to drive a Mark IV Golf. <laughs> Next. <laughs> I think the Mark so IV is not unpleasant. Was, I don't think so at all. I mean, you get an R32, they're quite good. I mean, the Mark IV here's was the a TT. I mean, the TT. Here's the thing. The TT has that problem that you hate. Yeah, meaning Audi takes a good a good car and turns it, gets rid of all the really good chassis tuning. No, it, well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that wasn't where I was going. But the TT is a design icon. And I think that Henry's point there is that it has to, it is such a visually impactful car that that's where all of the meat of the consumption of that car sure. lies is the design of the interior and exterior. Uh, and so dynamically it's immaterial because it writes a check, which is visual stunningness and the driving experience does not match that. You know, it's not a transcendent driving experience, but it is a transcendent, transcendent. design experience. It did also at the end have a 3.2 liter VR6. And I believe was, was it the first dual clutch? Yeah. 
car sold in America. Right. I mean, so you're you're talking four wheel drive DSG three point two VR six. That's a pretty pretty good combo. It's of technically stuff. nifty, but right. maybe not a joyful, no, laughing not. driving experience. No, it's very Audi. It's very somber. And if it was a car that competed with a Boxster oh, or even a Z three no contest, you know, yeah. it's like uh yeah, it no contest. Pencil, and that's why he didn't drive yeah. it. Although I was a bit insulted that he didn't drive the R129. Because that's a car that every time I get behind the wheel of one, I'm like, oh, I want one again. But also, they are persistently valueless. You yeah, know, it's a bull market thing. They're going to go up in value, and they just fucking won't. They're always $7,000 cars. They've Good. been $7,000 car. No, because they end up in the hands of people who are like, ooh, $1,000 for an ignition service? Yeah. I don't think I can do that. And then they all just... Well, they, there's two paths for those cars. They return to the earth, or <laughs> they stay in the garage of the original owner until they die, and right. then they get sold to someone for $7,000 with 16,000, not 16, right. 29,000 miles, so that then they can then return to the earth yeah, after that. Yeah, rag the shit out of it. Um, and that's a shame. Our 107s have come out of that, finally, because they're now worth $25,000 instead of $2,500. dollars mm-hmm. We've been talking about forever how 129 should be worth more. They keep not doing it. I will persistently enjoy them. They will continue to not do it until such time that their the the supply of them dwindles below the demand. I mean, I guess, it's just yeah. that's. I mean, 107s have for some reason do that because they look vintage and it's a very vintage looking right. experience. The 129, I guess, looks so contemporary that nobody wants to. I think and it's not vintagey enough, but I'm sorry. I think that car is has. To, I agree with you has to become worth more money. I don't yeah. want them to be million-dollar cars. They're never no, going well, right to be million-dollar cars, but it would be nice if they were $19,000. I mean, they are. to be the fair, nice late ones. ones are. Right. I really prefer the early cars, personally, Without and I'm question. in the minority for that. And so for me, it's actually Not in this room. Not in this room. Not in this room, but the, <laughs> there are three well, people in wrong. this room. So let's I mean, just correct this right now. The earlier cars are better. Yes, although they're, I prefer one without CIS. Okay, so we've decided that there's so that, so here there were two facelifts, right? Yes. On our one twenty nines, one in ninety six and one in ninety nine. Okay, ninety neither of them made the car look better. Agree. The original, but engine, a lot of people don't agree. They're wrong. Yes, the, they are. <laughs> because here's the thing: on the outside, sure, and okay, a couple of vents here, a couple of taillights here and there, fine. Mm, the, I'm I'm strongly against the facelift aesthetically outside. I'm not strongly against it. I'm I. I prefer the early ones but the inside there is no contest yes that original steering wheel the original climate controls that the was center stack the door panel design the seat design exquisite and it became yes. trashy yes. with those weird ass steering wheels it's and blobby the ugly seats they yeah. just did a blobby thing that mercedes was doing everything went blobby at mercedes everything in the went late 90s everything ever remember the the 1996 yeah, taurus, taurus. Um, Everything was going blobby and that car succumbed to it. And it's a wart on an otherwise sensational. I think it's one of the finest Mercedes-Benz cars ever made. Without question. But the one to get is not the earliest. So the one to get is a 500. If you're getting a 500. Having previously owned a 300, Mm -hmm. stick shift, I can say this. The one to get is definitely not a 600 and definitely not a 300. It's a 500. First couple years were CIS. Yes, until 92 was the last year of CIS. So 93, those were four cam Four cam V8s with four valve per cylinder and variable valve timing mm-hmm. with CIS, which is nuts. They got real fuel injection in 93. 93. Uh, what happened in 94? Did 94 get a five-speed? No. The five-speed came out in 96. 96. In 94, there are cosmetic differences only. They went from 500 SL to SL500. They right. got rid of the perforated door panels, and they went to... No, they didn't. That was in 95. They went to clear front lenses in 95. 95. 94 and 95 are identical except for the front turn zero right. lenses. And anyway, then 96 was the 96 facelift, was the facelift, which went to the three valve engine. No, no, that was 98. 98 was the last year of the, of the God, nobody yeah. cares. We've gone on a very the deep. The point thing. is you get a, you get, you a, get a 93, 94, LH, 95, 500, which is exactly, exactly what I have. They are fucking monsters. Yep. They are so, God, Paolo, stop giving us the Rona. They are monsters. They're so fast. They're so well engineered. They're so good. That is my bull market pick for the year. I'm done here. Every year for the last five years, they never go up in value. Why only five? Whenever, yes, yeah. you're right. But I, I, they're sensational cars. Hold on, I just realized I forgot something. Stay right there. Don't talk amongst yourself. What? Are we going to talk about the remaining? What is what is he doing? Oh, uh, he's forgot his his balls. What? <laughs> you did Careful. this entire episode without your balls? Yeah, my balls are fine. It's enormous. This thing weighs a ton. <laughs> uh, 
Wow. And for those who are listening, which we learned, two-thirds of our listener of our consumers of this podcast only listen. So we, they still think we're talking about Jason's balls. We're only talking about one of them, though. One of Jason's balls. It's very heavy. <laughs> Especially given its size. Uh, it's amazing. Hold on. Look at that. Do you see the reflection in this? This is the crystal ball that we use for that theme and that scene. And I have to give Randy Pope's credit. I wrote this stupid ass scene about the, I wish I had a crystal ball and he made it really funny, but I think it's pretty cool how it distorts it's upside stuff, down. Right. So if you hold it this way, can you read it now? Uh, yes. I didn't know you could actually go on amazon.com and, and buy, buy a, a crystal, crystal ball. ball. Is that actually crystal? Is it verifiable crystal? It looks like glass. It could be glass. How do you tell? I'm just supposed I don't to know. I have no I idea know what that means. But either way, this was supposed to be a prop in this episode because Randy's I see. So everyone. Oh yes. So the the Excel spreadsheet one was pretty self-explanatory. Okay. So at the beginning of the episode, if you haven't seen it, which you should go and see it. Blah 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 blah. Uh, the the lines were uh, Randy was looking in his crystal ball, seeing sort of. Uh, a, the future, something, well, a vision. She was saying a vision that was not a literal interpretation of what I was saying, but it was also sort of supposed to be a little bit funny. And so I, you know, he starts, I'm talking about, oh, valuation, valuation, valuation. And I'm th- I think, how do I get him to lead into us talking about the valuation team? And all they do is crunch numbers. Mm-hmm. And so he sees an Excel, a Hyundai XL spread, which is Nutella, it was Nutella being on toast. Yep. And then it's someone making their bed with a flat sheet. Right. So I, an so Excel, Excel spreadsheet. spreadsheet. Exactly. And then, then the next one was, I was thinking of like, okay, how do we describe what defines a bull market car, right? And so these are, you know, poised, poised to take off. I thought, oh, they're perfect. This is, you know, suck, squish, bang, boom, right? So internal combustion, internal combustion engine, right? So the, the cylinder pistons compress the mixture and fuel's already been injected and we're about to light it off. And so we did inserts in the crystal ball of suck, squish, self squeeze. I always say squish, bang, squeeze, bang and, and blow. blow. And so it was Mr. It's Bean blowing out a candle. Elicit. Well, the, the suck, suck was a little, the, yeah. The sort of implication of Monica that's Lewinsky. S- that's not fair. It's too soon. Too soon. It's been 25 years. It's still too soon. Now that it's 2023, it has been 25 years. She is amazing. Did you see the interview with her and John Oliver? No. I have to confess, I made Monica Lewinsky jokes for years after that. Like, you know, we all did. Mm-hmm. And uh, never really stopped to think about there was a human being in that in that body. And what the hell that she went through that we all put her through. But let me tell you, if you want a great laugh and feel terrible about what a fucking horrible human being you are, go watch John Oliver's interview with her. Because she's, in fact, indisputably the coolest person to ever walk the face of the fucking planet. Okay. So you can take your blue dress joke and suck it. And invest it in the... Uh, Okay. You have to go. We've in large part covered the bull market. Uh, It was interesting to see the parallels between uh, both sides of the Atlantic. The Lamborghini pairings. I mean, they chose Diablo instead of Murcielago, but I think both of those cars are... It makes sense for how impactful and iconic those cars are and for how they cost... You know, not that much money compared to Countach's or Mira's. Fair enough. Uh, what other parallels? He there tries. Was ladies the, and ladies gentlemen, he tries to be fair. No, it's not that much money uh, compared to a skyscraper in Manhattan. Yes. <laughs> a penthouse apartment. Uh, the Saab one was also an interesting yeah. parallel. Uh, but then also, obviously, some pretty stark divergences. AMX versus uh, Fiesta Austin 7. Mark 1. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yes. Well, we had the Harley Davidson. That was our 1930s car. That was closest, closest to, <laughs> to the Austin 7. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how these perform in the future. I mean, we went back and looked at some of the ones from the past. Some of them are really bang on. Others, I think, are not so much. Like the, one of the years in the past, they well, like Range Rover Classic, mm-hmm. they described in like, for sure, those cars have gone from being five or $7,000 to Twenty or fifty thousand dollars. Other times, doesn't do so well. XK one twenty was described as one which mm-hmm. those cars persistently are valueless, especially for how cool they are. But I get it because it's just an old drum brake carbureted nineteen fifties car that mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything to anybody who's less than four hundred years old. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't. I never is, understood why those cars might be poised to go up. Here's cool the, as they are. This is the thing. I have no insight into the valuation, especially because Jaguar is a dead mark, as we have discussed in the past. Dead. Dead brand walking. God, my boss came up with that one. It's such a good title. And it I'm is. like, oh, I'm going to get crucified by this. Here's the thing. The reason why I did the whole silly uh, 
crystal ball thing is because the reality is even the valuation folks don't have a crystal ball. And so they're not going to get it all right. And I am loath to give investment advice. You're not going to have me tell you where to put your money and what you what to do. But I do love it. relates the, to cars or anywhere else. Anywhere else. That's certainly fair. anywhere else. I'd be more likely to give you financial advice on cars. But my first piece of financial advice on cars is don't buy a car as an investment. Buy a car because you love it. And if you get to drive it, you know, if I, if let's say you buy something that's 25,000 bucks and over the course of three years, it costs you all of that plus a thousand dollars in fees, right? You twenty twenty one thousand dollars in three years is what six hundred dollars a month. That's the same as a depreciating Civic at this point. What's six hundred bucks a month on a lease? Oh, you're saying even if you right. sell it for nothing, right? If you if you walk away, worst case, you've had three years of enjoyment of something. So you know your chances are you're not going to walk away from a valueless car at the end of three years. Hopefully, no, it'll insured. probably be worth at least what you paid for it. That's the goal, right? And so the point there is, it doesn't really matter. These are cars that are we've we've as a company and in, in sort of identified as likely to do well relative to the rest of the market. We don't know where the market's going, right? We could have a huge market, classic car market crash next year. But the bigger point is each one of these cars is special in and of itself. Whether you and I like an SLR McLaren, it's still a special car. Yes. Um, and so the advice there for, for bull market is really just go and enjoy this collector The other thing hobby. I think to, to say also about that is that if it's a car that you enjoy, chances are someone else will enjoy it and there's a reasonable chance that therefore its value could go up because a lot of other people will be like, this is cool and I would like to yeah. experience this. And so, you know, plenty of people are printing money with buying whatever it is that they bought that was valueless and that's all fine and you can make money doing this. But, you know, ultimately for me and I think for most people, they should be buying cars on the basis of what they enjoy and just hopefully you buy a decent one that doesn't always broken like my Citroen. And this is where we put on the on the thing fini or fin. 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 Because it's over. Wait. Um, okay. Until next week. And is it next week already? I think so. Welcome to the next episode of the Carmichael. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, okay. This was uh, episode number... 80. 80. 80. We've made it to 80. We're Just approaching like my age. <laughs> Of the um, Carmudgeon Show, don't part of the podcast network. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Part of the what podcast network? Haggerty Podcast yes, Network. Don't forget to subscribe and like. <laughs>